We're in the first Samuel chapter 11. Samuel has called the children of Israel together at this time at Mitzvah, remember? And he begins to admonish them in chapter 10 about you're not wanting the one true God, God Almighty. You want a king, a vessel of clay to rule over you. So as he goes on, he says, so we're going to give you the Lord has appointed Saul to be your king. And then he begins to tell them what, what Saul should do. Uh, he should read the book of the law. He should do all of those things. But he also told them if Saul did not obey him, the Lord, or the people, it doesn't matter. And remember when Saul was appointed king, remember he wasn't right there. He was hiding in the stuff. Uh, the King James says stuff. The new King James says equipment. So I don't know if Saul didn't think much of himself as being king or he was worried about what the other people thought. That's going to be one of his major problems. But all in all, as they were leaving, they said, long live the king. But it was a smaller group who also said, why is Saul ruling over us? And, and at that time, Saul didn't say a word. He goes about his business back to his farm and now what was happening at that time, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, were making raids on a particular part of Israel. And so we're going to find out that prompted the children of Israel to want a king right there. Once again, God is their king. So we'll find out what happens and what takes place in that tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 11 tells us then this. Then Nahash, and Nahash means snake, the Ammonite. And when I read that Nahash the Ammonite, it almost sounds like a WWE wrestler. Nahash the Ammonite, a bad dude. And we're going to find out he's not as bad as he thought he was. But the Ammonites, they come from Abraham's nephew Lot. Remember, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah where he shouldn't have been. And so the two angels literally have to drag him out with, with his family with his two daughters, they go to this city named Zor. And so when they get to Zor, the two daughters, their reasoning was, there's no men in this city, so we've got to get our dad drunk and sleep with him. And so the firstborn, she does that the first night, got him drunk, sleeps with him. How that happens, I have to ask the Lord when I get there, that you're that drunk. But my point is, they have from that first daughter, the descendants of the Moabites. And then the next night, the second daughter goes in and sleeps with them. And that's where the family of Ammon comes from. Let me read it. Genesis 19, 37 through 38. It says this, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. They were a thorn in the children of Israel flesh all this time also. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. So back to verse 1, it says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. This is about 20 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, about 50 more miles away from where Saul is living in Gibeah. This is the first mention about uh, Jabesh Gilead because if you go back and think about Jabesh Gilead, what happened with them, this Levite, who was a Benjamite, he finally leaves his, his uh, father-in-law's home, and they, after they travel, they begin, and they say, we're going to camp out here in Benjamin. Well, this other guy comes in and says, you guys stay with me. Remember their account? So once they get in, it's almost like Sodom and Gomorrah again. These men are at the door and say, bring the man out. We want to lay with him. So what did they do? They brought the concubine out. And so the next morning, he puts the concubine on his horse, on his mule, and he goes to uh, Gibeah. Once he gets there, remember, he cuts her up into 10 pieces Probably 12 because he sends her out, scatters her through the 12 tribes. And so they're upset about this. So they call 
uh, them out to war. The other 11 tribes goes against this one tribe of Benjamin. And so remember, Benjamin defeated them twice. And so they go back to the Lord. They begin to cry. And the Lord, they make sacrifices. So the third time, they defeat Benjamin. And they slaughtered almost all the men. So they begin to weep about that also. So they call all the tribes together. They say, who didn't go out with us? And it was Jabesh Gilead. They didn't go. And so they go and slaughter all the men just about of Jabesh Gilead. And they take the women that they, had, that they got from Jabesh Gilead and took them to the men of Benjamin. So Saul has something in common. He has a history with Jabesh Gilead because Saul, remember, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. So that's what's going on with this. I think that's one reason he's going to go out to war. But he says, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, these are some weak dudes, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Verse two, and Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition, I will make a covenant with you that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on Israel. I understand why he's called the snake now. He says, I will negotiate with you guys. One thing I want you to do, let me gouge out your right eye so you're not gonna be any good anymore to go to war. All you're going to be then is prisoners of war. So I don't know if I would rather be a prisoner of war for the rest of my life or just kill me. But that's their choice. But these guys, they say, okay, we'll get back with you in a week. And that's what they do. So he really wants to humiliate uh, Jabesh Gilead and cripple them so they won't be any more good. But first, verse three tells us this. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there is no one to save us, kind of comical to me, we will come out to you. So the elders asked for a week's delay and Nahash gives them this week. And the reason he gives them this week, you have to remember that Saul has just been inaugurated king. He doesn't even have his cabinet in order yet. He's in the fields plowing his mules. And so all of a sudden he's thinking, even if I give them a week, they're not going to be able to muster an army to come against me. You call that being overconfident, sort of like Kansas City Chiefs were the other day. They're a little overconfident here and that's gonna mess them up. Jabesh Gilead, once again, they were the only tribe, part of that tribe that did not go to war against Benjamin. All of the rest of the tribes went to war. And it's ironic now they're calling for the children, the rest of the children of Israel to help them. And we don't know if they're going to help them or not. There's something in the scriptures called the law of sowing and reaping. That's a law because it's a principle because it's true. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. He will also reap. I think that's what happened in the life of Saul, Paul, the apostle. That's what I'm speaking of. All of those things Paul sowed, even though he became a believer and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Look what he reaped. Even though Paul could look back and say, I count all these things joy to know him. I feel that way in my life sometimes. I think it's about over with now, but I could say, man, I did this, I did that. Even when I became a believer, things overtook me. But like I, I would tell Lydia all the time, when you're a believer at that point, it doesn't matter. You count it all joy for the excellency of Christ. But that is a law, and that's why I stated there in Galatians. But these guys, they will come out and help Jabesh Gilead. It says in verse 4, So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field, 
And Saul said, what troubles the people? It's a lot of mourning and, and weeping that they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the spirit of God came upon Saul, the ruach, the wind, the breath of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. Now remember who Saul really is. Saul is that dude who was hiding in the stuff that they had to go get him. But right now he's walking with the Lord. The Lord has his ear. The spirit of the Lord has come upon him. And so he's acting or reacting the way God's heart is. He's upset. He's angry. It's a righteous wrath because he's following the Lord at this time. Yahweh is angry. He comes upon Saul. Saul has those same emotions. And I wish Saul would have stayed like that. It says, it says this in Psalms 143.10. Teach me to do your will. We have to learn that. You are my God. Your spirit is good. So right now he's walking by faith with the Lord. He's not going to continue to do this. But watch what happens. So he took a yoke of oxen cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers. Once again, it reminds me of the Levite with his concubine here saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel, that's good, to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out with one consent. It was because Saul was following the Lord that the Lord allowed this fear fear of God to come upon the people. He never thought he would get this many men coming out. But since God was in it, he allowed it to happen. Anytime we're riding with the Lord, anytime we're in the Lord's court, I know we're saved, we're born again, but we still have to walk in the path of righteousness. And anytime we're walking in those paths of righteousness, we don't have to worry about the enemy. We don't have to, God is going to handle that. That's why I love Psalms 18. It says, and I usually don't read the, the heading, but I want you to get the picture of this. It says, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him, because he's walking in his ways, from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is verse 24 through 29. David says, therefore, because the preceding verse, it says, I'm following you. I'm walking with you. I have confidence in you because I'm walking with you. He says, therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness. We know our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. According to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now, notice the contrast. He says, first of all, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. We need to be merciful. He says, with the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. I'm following the Lord. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And here it goes. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You know, people can talk about you. People can say all kinds of things that's not true about you. We fight those battles on our knees. We don't have to say anything. God will handle those things. We can have confidence when you're walking with the Lord. You can have confidence in God. No matter the slander, no matter what people say, we can have confidence that God is in control and he's going to take care of everything. That's why he says, and with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd for you will save the humble people but will bring down the haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, because of you, he boasts, I can run against a troop, an army. By my God, I can leap over a wall. That's the spirit of God that has come upon Saul and he has confidence that he will be victorious. These 330,000 men will come together. He says in verse eight, when he numbered them in Besek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000 and they said to the messengers who came, 
Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. I'm sure they were. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, they're still acting a little shrewd here. They're playing a good game. Tomorrow, we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch between two and six in the morning. He uses the same tactics that Jephthah in the book of Judges and Gideon, they both did the same thing here to the Midianites in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Saul succeeded because his confidence, he was empowered by the spirit of God. That's the only true way we as believers can succeed. Not only the Spirit of God inside of us, indwelling us, but the Spirit of God coming upon us. And Saul will use his natural gifts. Whatever gifts that you were born with, the talents that the Lord has given you, we should use those to glorify the Lord. He gives us those things so we can give them back to them. We should be serving. We should be doing all of those things because nobody can do those things that the Lord has gifted you with better than you. And that's what Saul is doing here. He's using the gift. Remember when Solomon, his dad had died. The temple is being built, almost erected. And he's praying and God comes to him by night and speaks to him. And Solomon, remember, he asked for wisdom and knowledge. He says that I may go out and come in before this people, Israel. For who can judge this great people of yours? Once again, everything starts with humility. The way up is the way down. It starts with humility. I tell the Lord all the time, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have the, all of the material in and of myself to run this church. You've given me the heart to do it. And that's why he has put godly men around me, pastors and elders, and even guys in the, in the fellowship speaks to me. And that's valuable. And as long as we stay humble, because I'm not the overseer of this flock, Jesus Christ is, and we get our marching orders from him. And as long as we're doing those things, the Lord is going to bless. That's what Saul started out doing, but it didn't take long for him to fall away. That's what David will do. Every time David had success, he would walk in humility. He knew who gave him that success. It comes from the Lord. So he says in verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, and he goes back to what happened from the beginning. Who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. Fair weather friends. It's better to have no friends at all because that quick they turn on you. These fickle friends, they're ready to kill the men who said that. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. When Saul was chosen king, once again, God gave him authority to rule Israel. But it wasn't until he had this great victory that he had the stature that he needed. But once again, Saul's problem is going to be that malignant pride that he has inside of him. That's right there that he won't put it to death. And it's going to come back to bite him. And that's sad. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal. They're all on a high right now, including Samuel, and renew, uh, and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before, before the Lord in Gilgal. Because remember the first time they have this complaint, who made Saul king? He shouldn't be king. 
This time they all agree to it. They confirm the, the coronation here. That's why it says they, there they made sacrifices of peace offerings, fellowship offerings. That's what peace offerings are before the Lord. And their, and their Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Chapter 12. Now Saul said to all Israel, now Samuel said to all Israel, still there at Mitzvah, indeed I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. And I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. Now why would he say that? My sons are with you. He's saying, it's almost, well, it is an indictment on his sons. Remember, they took bribes. They, and they told Samuel when they came and asked Samuel for a king, hey, Samuel, your sons aren't like you. You're a godly man, but not your sons. And so he says, hey, they're right. My sons are, are, are with you. It's tragic because when you think of Eli, the high priest, he was a man of God. But his sons weren't. And I think it was because he wouldn't discipline his sons. But this with Samuel, his sons, they were ungodly men. And it may be because he never, Samuel was never at home that much. He was always on these circuits. So I don't know if he didn't spend quality time with his sons. But it's just tragic to see them go that way. So they're right. There's a transition that's going on. 500 years from the judges all the way from the beginning. Then they end it with the judges. Samuel is the last judge. They're become the, the Israelites are becoming a monarchy. They're, they're, they've got their first king right here. So all of this shuffling is going on. It's almost like, and I pray to God this never happens. We in America, we are a republic. A Democrat republic, that's what we are. But you can see the, trip, the rumblings of socialism coming on. And I pray that we will never go that route. But I just want you to see the paradigm shift that's happening from the high priest leading to the king, this monarchy that's going to take place here. They wanted a king. God was their king. And God says, I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to bring leanness to your souls. I told you this from the beginning when we started 1 Samuel. The problem wasn't that they asked for a king because we know God was going to give them a king anyway. It was they wanted it when they wanted it. They got ahead of God, and that's never good. So Samuel begins his, uh, his speech. It's really his court trial. He's, he's going to summon them to this court. And he says, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. He says, you know me. You know my life. You know the account of my mom bringing me to Shiloh to the tabernacle and how I stayed there and my, none of my words fell to the ground. So you know my manner of living almost like Paul said. He says in verse three, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, speaking of Saul, whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. It also reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he's on the island of Miletus and he calls for the elders of Ephesus. And I love this. I'm going to read it. Acts 20, verses 18 through 24. Just listen to what he says, his manner of living. He says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. How did he live? serving the Lord with all humility. You can't get away from that in the scriptures. He says, and it wasn't good either all the time, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you 
and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, that's what we teach here, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we will always teach. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation awaits me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. It's good to finish your race, but what's great is to finish your race with joy. People can have a life full of trials, tough times and tribulation, being a believer, and they can become sour and dour and make it to heaven. But that's not a good witness. To go through those things and then say, I finished my race with joy, puts a smile on the king of kings' face because that's how he finished his. He said, I finished my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel, and I love this, of the grace of God. That's what the good news is, the grace of God. That was Paul's ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's your ministry. That's your ministry. That's every believer's ministry. That's why we are here, to testify to the grace of God. I hope when I get there that I can look back on my life and say that. Jesus put it this way in John 17, 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I pray that all of us will be able to say that. So they said to Samuel in verse 4, and they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, Notice how many times, it's not about Samuel, he will be speaking about Jehovah God here. The Lord is witness against you, and his anointing is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand, and they answered, and they answered, he is witness. So once again, this is a judicial setting here, and he is going to, not only is he going to give them history, which they already know. He's going to bring that to remembrance. But this is a court setting here. He says in verse six, then Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still. There it is. Stand up. We're in court that I may reason. That word reason is shafat. It means to judge, to govern, to vindicate that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, because he's good, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazar, into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now deliver us from the hand of our enemies and we will serve you. It's <laughs> funny to me. That's, that's how we do. Things aren't going well. When things aren't going well and you're walking with the Lord, that's okay. I can handle that. I know I'm not doing anything wrong. The problem is when your walk is crooked and things are going bad, then the Lord is putting a little discipline on you. Turn back, repent, come back to me. You're going a little too far off. I want you close by me. That's what he's saying here. That's what happens all the way through the book of Judges. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel, Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. 
and you dwelt in safety. Here it is. And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, so he was already making raids against Israel. They thought God wasn't doing anything or God wasn't doing enough. And the reason he wasn't doing enough because they were walking in disobedience, here it is. You said to me, Samuel says, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired and take note. The Lord has set a king over you. Verse 14, if you fear the Lord, still got to reverence me, a healthy fear of the Lord is good and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Samuel is known for his prayers. Samuel was a mighty man of prayer. Samuel, when he would pray, he was so famous for his prayers. In the book of Jeremiah, God says, even if Samuel would, were to pray, I'm still going to bring judgment. So Samuel was walking with the Lord. He says this, so he's about to pray up a storm right here. Is today not the wheat harvest? Wheat harvest was between mid-May uh, and mid-June. Everything was dry at the time. It would never rain. So this is the dry season. But Samuel says, I will call to the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain, that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourself. Once again, he says, your wickedness is great. And what makes that even more great is that they're getting ahead of God. They got ahead of God. Once again, let's not do that. Let's try not to do that, to get ahead of God. Your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking a king for yourself. Samuel is wanting the people to understand, even though you've asked for a king, God was gracious, he gives you a king. But God is not done with you. God is not going to take his hand off of you. God loves you. And as long as the king obeys and you obeys, God is still going to bless you. It's the same way with government. We as a nation is so divided. The problem sh shouldn't be whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent. That's not really the issue. That's the issue the enemy wants us to wrestle with and fight about. But the big issue, we have a sin problem. Democrats are going to enter the kingdom of God. They're already there. And Republicans and Independents do the problem no matter who's our king, the president, the problem is a sin problem. And as long as we are re in rebellion against God, things aren't going to get better. As a nation, things aren't going to get better because we have turned away from the Lord in general. And that's what's happening here. It's not that they have a king. God hasn't left them because They've got a king now. God chose Saul. But still the problem is sin. And it's the same with us. It's the same with America. It's the same with the entire world. It's a sin problem. We need to walk close with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to say, Lord, whatever your will is, whoever the king that you give us for America, you've allowed it. You're still going to take care of your children no matter who's in office. Once again, it's the enemy who wants to divide. 
And what we really show when we're fussing and kicking against the pricks about our government is that we don't trust the Lord to provide and to take care of his children. And that's the bottom line. And that's what they're going to see here. That's what Samuel wants them to know. Okay, God gives you a king. But if you want things to go well, you have to follow God. He says in verse 18, so Samuel called to the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. It must have been a tough storm. For we have added to all our sins. Notice what he says. The evil of asking a king for ourselves. It reminds me of Pharaoh when he continued to say, Moses, pray for me. You're right, I'm wrong, I've repented, when he truly didn't. And the same thing is probably happening here. The people, they're not sincere. They're just tired of what's going on. And it's because of their unbelief. Hebrews, speaking of unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Listen to what it says. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and I saw my works 40 years, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray. Where? Not in their minds, but in their hearts. Because the heart will always make a convert of the mind. You can't be born again by believing it up here. That dissipates quickly. It's a heart thing. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that's what it's about. So the heart will always make a convert of the mind. That's, why, that's where they want to stray at. They always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren lest there be any of you, this is the New Testament speaking to us, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Their unbelief made them depart from Yahweh. That's what he's saying. If you guys, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are safe and sound in him. Nothing can take us away from him if that's where we want to be. It might get tough in this life. There might be great temptation. There might be great sorrow. But if we just stay in his hand, he's going to take us to heaven. That's what he promised us. It says in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, and all of this fits together. So listen, Jesus speaking, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So if we're believers, we follow Jesus. Are we following him? And then he says, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. If you're, you're safe and sound in the hand of Jesus Christ, if that's where you want to be, no forces of hell, of nature, or anything can take us out of his hand. That word he uses, snatch, is harpazo. We've heard that word before, the rapture. That's the rapture word. So that must be a vicious taking. Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. He goes on to say, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. So if you want to stay and continue in Jesus' hand, then we can relax and enjoy the journey to heaven. The reason I say that, that's why it's so important for believers, for brothers and sisters at Calvary Restore. We need to be pulling. We need to be cheering. We need to be encouraging one another because it's tough enough in this life. That's what we need to happen. It says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30, Paul says, 
only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together, that's wrestling, for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation. And that from God, for to you it has been, catch this, I say this all the time, people don't want to hear it, but it's the truth. After he says all that, he says this, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, he gives this to you. Not only to believe in him, and I say it all the time, that's the good part. That's what it says. But also to suffer for his sake. That's, that, that's this life we live. That's here and now. Not only has it been granted, he grants the salvation, those he calls, those he gives grace to follow. Come and follow me. Then you make up your mind. He gives you that faith to believe. That's the part we like. But he doesn't stop there. It's always also been granted to suffer for his sake. He says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me, I'm going through the same thing. So back to Hebrews 13, he says, chapter three, verse 13, he says this, but exhort one another daily. That's what we should be doing. Why it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we live like it. We're not perfect, but we're walking with him in obedience to his word. And we may have to suffer sometimes down here. Sometimes this life can be a dream. Sometimes it can be a nightmare, but that's okay. We're going to get through it. So he says in verse 19 of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. Once again, Asking for a king wasn't the problem, but they got ahead of God and they put their trust in a man instead of God. That's why Samuel gives them this history lesson that it wasn't Moses, it wasn't Aaron, it wasn't Jephthah, it wasn't Gideon. It was me in the background winning these victories for you. He gives them this covenant. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will bring judgment to you so that you will turn back to me. Either way, God is saying, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to you. So he says in verse 20, then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside. I hope you caught that. He said, serve the Lord with all your heart. The implication is, if you're not serving, if you don't serve the Lord with all your heart, you're susceptible to turning away from him. That's what happens right here. So he says, serve the Lord with all your heart. He says, for then you will go and do not turn aside, for then you will go after empty things, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. 
Honestly, I believe if a person is a believer in Jesus Christ, and once again, it says this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I think. And then he goes on in chapter 13 to speak about, Paul says, that's why many are asleep because they have not given value to the Lord's Supper. I believe that God will take you out of here before he allows you to turn away from him. That's my opinion, if you're his child. That's where it speaks of that in in 1 Corinthians 13. He says in verse 23, because he's faithful. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. How is he not going to sin against the Lord? In ceasing to pray for you. That's what we should be doing all the time. Lifting up prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jobs, whether it's health, whatever it is, COVID is still around. We need to be lifting the church and the individuals up in prayer. Ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and right way. Once again, he says, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart once again. For consider what great things he has done for you. And then he gives them a warning. And it's a well-deserved warning. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. We're going to find out that Saul does not take this to heart. He's walking in humility right now, but he's going to show his true colors. He's going to turn away from the Lord because pride, pride always comes before fall. We need to walk in humility. Maybe it's just me, and maybe this is sound prideful, so pray for me. <laughs> I just don't, and we all struggle with different things, so let me preface it with that. But I know me. I know I can't do one thing good without the Lord. I think the Lord gave me that kind of, of makeup. Humility, we as believers should eat up. We should pray on and pray about and make sure we're doing those things. It's not, oh, they wouldn't do this, so I'm going to do that. We walk in humility. We do the things we're called to do. The standard, and I've said this before, is Jesus Christ. Nobody has humbled himself the way he did. We will never humble ourselves the way he did. And look who he did it for. So why is it so tough, Victor, to humble myself? Let's walk in humility. Because if we do that, other things will come. All he spoke about here in these two chapters is humility He speaks on suffering. He speaks on if you go astray, don't worry about it. I'm your heavenly father. I'm going to put heat on you because I want you to turn back to me. So I'm not going to allow you. God never allows us to get way down the road and then begin to call us back. Once we start in increments to fall away little by little, He begins right then and there. We just need to listen. Don't get so far that he's going to really have to beat us down to get us back. He's a good God. We've been granted eternal life. He gave us faith to believe on him. So what? So what? If I have to suffer for a little while and I don't suffer much. And I kind of believe you guys don't suffer much. But when it comes out of our way, oh, I'm just falling apart. That's me. That may not be you guys. That's me. I fall apart easy. But what I want you to know, what's 70 years? I'll close with this because I, I harp on this all the time. Did you have a good day today? Did you have a good day yesterday? I guarantee you, most of us, if not all of us, 
has more good days than bad. But we're used to those good days. So it's really no big deal. It's, it's when the bump comes in the road. Oh, I'm in trouble now. What's 70 years in light of eternity? What's 80 years? What's 100 years if you live that long in light of eternity? So put your big boy pants on and say, Lord, thank you that you've granted me eternal life. So if I have to suffer a little down here, Lord, give me grace to have that right mindset. And so when I look back on it, my life, I can look back on it with joy, not to be a sour, dour Christian. That's terrible. And we don't want to be that. And that's not good for the Lord to look down and see either. Let's pray. Father, we're in love with you. We're in love with your word. We're in love with the tree on God. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you lavish upon us. We thank you for our help. We know that comes from you, Lord. We may get sick down here and go through things down here, Lord, but as long as we know you're with us, we're able to go through it. Let us go through it with joy. Father, I pray for protection for CR, protection from COVID, protection from sickness, protection from slander, protection for any devices of the flesh and enemy. Lord, all we want to do here is to honor you, to serve you, to bring glory to your name, to teach the word, to serve with love and joy in our hearts. And I thank you for all the people who do that here, Father. Lord, bless us in a special way. We can wait, we can endure. But Lord, we're here to serve you and we wanna be everything that you've called us to be. So watch over this part of your flock right here, Father. And may we serve you with joy. It's a privilege to be in your vineyard. It's a privilege to serve alongside you. Lord, watch over us. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.